You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Friday, and this is Spain and Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear hotline. That's right. I'm rolling with this level of fire, even if Sarah's still got the day off. She's getting some much-needed R&R. She will be back on Monday. Uh, so, you know, fear not. She will be back with us. But I'm still going to bring the Friday energy. And we're going to involve you guys in the Friday energy over the course of the next couple of hours. Get into a lot of what's going on. But the news right now is all focused on the Masters. Everybody's got their eyes on what's happening in Augusta. Now, I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of days telling you all the problems. That being said, I think it's time to acknowledge some good here. Justin Rose still sits atop the leaderboard at this point. He is seven under, was even today. So uh, not nearly the day he had yesterday, but it has gotten tight. It's important to note at this point that this thing has absolutely gotten, let's say everybody's a little puckered up at this point you've got 10 players within three strokes which is exactly what I think we all were hoping would happen through this process it looks like it is going to be a tight matchup plus some of those names that have made a meteoric rise today Jordan Spieth he's now at five under after a four under day today finds himself tied for fourth Justin Thomas tied for sixth at four under Tony Finau tied for sixth at four under, we're starting to see recognizable names work their way up. Heck, even Bryson DeChambeau that we've talked so much about, five under today, finds himself tied for 17th. But that's significant. I mean, about five holes in, it looked like he might miss the cut entirely. Now look where he is. So we're getting the best of all scenarios at this point as we have several different golfers that all have some level of name recognition. A lot of great American golfers in that process, too. We love to root for. Uh, so there's a lot to keep our eye on. Like I said, Justin Rose didn't have the day he hoped, and this is what he had to say with Michael Eaves about his rough second day. I actually said to myself, going up the eighth hole, hey, you're still leading the Masters. Yeah. Okay, you know, the frame of reference is totally different. Yeah, we were four ahead, now it's just tied for the lead or one ahead or whatever it was. But I kind of realized that it was still a pretty good spot to be in and try to build on from there. I think the important thing about what you just heard there is, hey, I'm still leading the Masters. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, Jason Fitz flying solo. When you think about that mindset, even having to remind yourself, hey, this day isn't going well, but I'm still leading the Masters. It shows you how important this is. I've told this story a million times, but I'll never forget the first time I played Madison Square Garden. For me, that show had a lot of emphasis. I grew up as a kid with not much. I would save my lunch money. And when I had the opportunity on Saturdays when I was in the city for music lessons, I would just go up to scalpers afterwards and I'd say, okay, after the tip-off, after the puck dropped, I'd be able to walk up and say, this is what I have in my hand. Will you sell me a ticket? And so I got to go to a lot of games with terrible seats, you know, where I came in halfway through at the Garden. The first time as a touring musician I played the Garden, because of that, I was so amped up, it was difficult for me to get any control of my adrenaline. It was difficult to get any control of the moment because it's the Garden. There are certain things that resonate more. This is the Masters. And for Justin Rose to even acknowledge that on a tough day, he had to tell himself, hey, you're still leading. It's still the Masters. That, to me, tells you everything you need to know about the mentality required to get it done. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. I'll keep you updated over the course of the next couple of hours on everything you need to know with the Masters. But before we do any more golf, I've got words for Draymond Green. Now, 
Uh, obviously, Draymond has been in the news several times for the things that he said about the women uh, athletes and what they're trying to fight for, for equality. Uh, this has been well chronicled at this point as Draymond used this platform to basically say that uh, women were going about it the wrong way and weren't asking for the right things with a real plan. And he came out and questioned so much of it. In fact, to the point that Megan Rapino, who we all know, and I'd like to call a friend of the show at this point, Megan Rapino made it clear that uh, Draymond had showed himself and his lack of education on this topic when he spoke about it. That has all led to a response. Draymond gave an extensive response last night to all of the backlash for his comments and uh, made it clear that he thinks that maybe we've taken some of it out of context. Maybe some of it's been misquoted. This is a little of what he had to say. You know, I think it's unfortunate that she thinks it's unfortunate that that's my view because at the end of the day, what Megan wants and what I want is the same thing. If we can both do something to move the needle to get to the end goal, Great. I have no complaints with whatever it is that she wants to do or any woman athlete wants to do or anyone that's trying to help drive their cause and what they want to be done. It doesn't really matter to me how you get there. What does matter to me is that we get there. So much here that bothers me. Number one, it doesn't matter to me how we get there, but yet you corrected a bunch of prominent athletes on the process they were going through in which to try and get there. That bothers me. Number two, this is Draymond Green. And I think context matters more than we, uh, more than we allow sometimes when we have these conversations. Draymond Green is as connected as anybody could possibly be when it comes to the sports world. There is nobody in sports that Draymond Green can't get access to. There's nobody he can't get a phone number from, an email from, that works in the sports world. His agent, his team, the people that work around him, and himself, he has the reach to get to anybody. He chose not to do that. I mean, if there is something to be said about the fight for women's equality and what they're looking for in the sports world, sure, I understand that sometimes you're just responding to questions. But isn't the right response to those sorts of questions, frankly, in from the get-go, hey, i got to get better understanding before I speak on it. What bothers me is Draymond never tried to do that. I mean, absolutely. You want to tell me that Chenea Ogumike wouldn't want to talk to Draymond about what they're trying to accomplish in the WNBA. You want to tell me that her sister Neca, who runs the WNBA PA, wouldn't want to talk to Draymond about what they're trying to accomplish. You want to tell me that Megan Rapino wouldn't have been willing to have a conversation with Draymond Green through all of this about what they're actually trying to accomplish, how they're doing it, the steps they've gone through, and any advice that Draymond would have in a way that he could be an advocate or in a way that he can help them see the puzzle in a different way. That's being an advocate. That's trying to work with somebody. And that's absolutely what Draymond chose not to do. No matter how he walks his words back at this point, the thing that will always bother me about what he said, and bother me, by the way, just as a middle-aged white dude that has no dog in this fight, like I am the first to admit that I am not the person that can stand up and speak as qualified as other people about the fight going on because I'm still becoming educated on it. But that's what bothers me about Draymond. He didn't try to even get the base knowledge before he went off. And because he went off and included several prominent, powerful female athletes in his process of his vent, even if his intentions were good. What he didn't do before he spoke was ask the right questions, obviously. And what he hasn't done since then is listen or try to open a dialogue. That's what bothers me through all of this, because there is real opportunity from great players, huge brands, from household names, 
that want to work together to sort of affect and impact change and also help people get what they want and what they're working for in life. There is a moment here that that can be made possible in part because Draymond has a great platform. Instead of using his platform to gain education, understanding, knowledge, and then hopefully become an advocate to what's attempting to happen, instead of doing any of that, he just spoke. And when he just spoke, he did a lot of damage because speaking uneducatedly towards these sorts of concepts has consequence. That's what Draymond refused to see. That's what he refuses to see now. And until he learns to have those conversations, even behind the scenes, in a way that he actually is attempting to gain knowledge, there's absolutely nothing positive that comes from him speaking about something that he has nothing to do with. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. All of our uh, music coming back tonight is going to be DMX. I want to take a second and acknowledge the passing uh, of an absolute icon uh, in the music business. And I will say this, that, you know, it's so funny that uh, for me with my background around country music, so many people think that that's all I listen to. And, and frankly, I didn't get introduced to country until much later in my life. And so uh, there are a lot of other genres that really influenced me. I, I think it's pretty impossible to be a musician and not feel the influence of whatever is really reigning over pop at the time. And DMX did that in a way with such aggression in his vocals that really hit you. Like you felt the passion of every single word that he spoke and it was incredible. Like I realized that he's a person that has a lot on the personal side and a lot as a human being uh, that people will will question. That's for a different day. Today uh, is about remembering the impact he made. Everything I ever did in music, I always said, I just want to make an impact. Well, there was an entire generation of fans that were impacted by the way he delivered, what he delivered, and the music that he made. Absolutely, uh, the entire music community mourns today the loss of DMX. Our thoughts and prayers go out to his friend, uh, family, friends, and everybody that knew him well. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz flying solo again. Precedent matters. And what happened last year in COVID was, uh, you know, uh, if you had the bingo table for uncertain times, right? You're looking at that. That's a phrase Sarah and I have joked we never want to hear again. Uh, With an abundance of caution and unprecedented times. Like these are all things that we get used to. But because of that, we didn't get the normal offseason in the NFL. Now, I do believe it has impact. Not everybody agrees with that. In fact, many players look at it and say, hey, we got through last year. We played well enough last year. It didn't really change the injury count last year, and football was still played. So why are we doing that? To that end, the NFL Network is reporting that NFLPA president J.C. Treader, that would be the center of the Browns, by the way, told players on a call today the union is pushing for an all-virtual offseason and would urge players to boycott if teams conduct in-person OTAs this spring, per sources. This is the quote from Treader. Quote, we've been telling them it's voluntary and we're not going to go. Now, about 300 of the 2,500 players have workout bonuses they'd lose if they skip OTAs. Under the CBA, the lone mandatory work, the only thing that has to be done before training camp is a June minicamp. And the union also wants that to be virtual this year. Uh, That is going to have to take some negotiation because it already exists in the CBA. Nothing gets changed in the CBA without some back and forth. If if the owners are going to decide to let players stay away, then there's going to have to be some give back to the owners. But remember, the players are already upset about a 17th game, and this is why that matters. The 17th game is something that was pushed into the CBA. Many players did not want, and it still happened. It's still now a part of the reality. And as it has sunk in over the last month that we're going to get 17 games, 
Think about the reaction we've seen from prominent players across the board. This is a dumb idea. We've seen big-name players come out and speak out against it. And we saw the Aaron Rodgers of the world speak out against it beforehand, even. When you start putting all of that together and you say, okay, now what? Well, you can't do anything about the 17 games. That's done. That got squeezed into the CBA, and you can be unhappy with the fact that some of your other union members didn't feel it was important enough to vote against it, but it's there. 17 games you can't do anything about. Now what do you do? What's the first thing most of us do? If your boss takes away something that they can take away, then don't you conversely look around and say, oh, yeah? Well, what can I do to get you back? There's a safety measure here. I don't want to take anything away from that. Uh, Obviously, the players are going to contend, hey, this isn't the old days. We stay in shape when we're away from the game. We're able to come in and, and really take care of our own bodies. We do it with our own trainers, oftentimes around the college campuses that we became comfortable with or around the areas that we grew up with our family. Uh, we can go out and still be professionals. I understand all of those things. But you can't tell me that you can sim- simply eliminate all of this and it has no impact on the field. It has to. Now, there's also the lo- lasting impact of what it means in the strength of a unified voice. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz flying solo today. When you talk about unified voice, it's important here. I've been a member of unions uh, as a musician. And when you start talking about uh, negotiation, it's very difficult. Something that Mike Golick Jr. really smartly pointed out when we worked together in the mornings is that we need to understand what matters to most fans may not align with what matters to most players. Because, as I said earlier, there's, what, 2,500 players in the league Do those 2,500 players care more uh, about the franchise tag that only impacts 32 players per year? Or do they care more about drug testing, for example? Uh, you, You can start to look at it and say what benefits the entire whole of the group. But what we know is that so far, every time there's been a big negotiation over the last several years, it feels like the NFL has absolutely wiped the floor with their players. That being said, it's easy to do because there are fewer owners and they have more net worth. They have a longer opportunity to earn money. They have more money. They know that they can make money forever doing what they do, and there's less of them. So it's easy to be a good old boys club when you know that you have the opportunity to really have the power in a negotiation. right? But it is not easy to do that when you're representing 2,500 players, some of which may be in the prime of their career, some of which may only have a year or two window to even play in the league, some of which are at the end of their career. Think about how different the priorities are for every group I just mentioned. When you think about those priorities, it makes it difficult to negotiate. That's why we just have come to the point where it feels like the boy who cried wolf. The NFLPA says they want something. Cool. I always say people in hell want ice water. I want to be able to dunk a basketball on a, on a regular size ramp with a regular size basketball. I mean, we all have wants. Wants ain't going to get it done. The only way that the NFL can affect change is if the NFL Players Association comes together as one unit. And even when they were facing the most significant vote that would change the, the absolute scope of their game for a decade, they still couldn't get on one page. That's why this is important. Because at some point, who is J.C. Treader speaking for? As the NFLPA, at some point, who is he actually calling upon? And what impact does it have when he says something will happen? Put yourself in the shoes on the other foot game. You're sitting there opposite J.C. Treader, and you own a team. And he says, you know what? If you guys won't allow this to happen, we simply won't show up for voluntary workouts. Now, coaches will freak out. The concept of not having people in the building will freak coaches out. I understand why. There has to be meaning to sitting in the same room. 
there has to be meaning to bringing teams together on the same page and getting the timing right and having the understanding right, also building camaraderie. All the things we talk about right now in our own lives every time we realize how much it stinks to have your meetings on Zoom. It's not the same. I hosted SportsCenter on Snapchat uh, last week, and I love doing that show. But it hit me so hard when I was on campus at ESPN, and I realized I was by myself in a massive, massive conference room, connected on a Zoom with different people that were in different states that were all editing different segments. And when we wanted to have big brainstorming ideas, we couldn't do it. It's just not easy. It didn't have the same vibe. When I hung up from that and we got ready for the show, I thought, wow, This is not the same creative juice that it was before. There's impact when you're not in the same room. I don't care how much you try to tell me that's not true. It is true. So obviously teams want to get everybody in the same room. But if they're players association, at some point you've got to stand up for something as a group to send a message that you're unified. If you don't, no one will ever take you seriously. See, this is about an all-virtual offseason, maybe. I think it's about so much more than that. This is about the players knowing that they're never heard. This is about the players knowing they're always stepped on, and it's about the players knowing that every time they try to fight back, the owners simply sit together and laugh. So now they got to find something, some way in the collective bargaining agreement that they can fight for themselves until they're allowed to do that, until they can find something, take a stand that's unified. No one's going to take them serious on change. So let's not get it twisted. I have no idea what this means for mini camps, I have no idea what this means for OTAs, and I have no idea what it means for voluntary workouts. What I'm looking at is far bigger than that. What does this mean to the union's ability to get together on a simple, simple initiative that benefits all of their players? You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts, I've been flying solo this week with Sarah out. Uh, but fear not, you can go back and listen to all of the great stuff you might have missed throughout the course of the week and get ready for it. Heck, that's what Sarah's going to do so that she knows uh, which ones of my hot takes she wants to dunk on when she gets back. Uh, Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. And uh, uh, obviously there's a lot of questions about the Packers situation, partially because we're not hearing from anybody uh, around the Packers situation, which leads to a really interesting article that's out on ESPN.com by Rob Domovsky, ESPN Packers reporter, trying to get some clarity from different people that are at least familiar with what would be asked of anybody in this situation. He contacted an agent a high-ranking scout, a veteran assistant coach, and a front office exec gave them anonymity so they could give their opinions on the entire situation. It's one of the most interesting reads I've seen on everything around Aaron Rodgers, so we thought, why not head over to the Goodyear hotline and bring Rob on with us. Rob, thanks so much for the time. Uh, you know, n- given that we've heard nothing from virtually anybody in this process, uh, A, it's a great idea by you. B, how challenging was it for you to get people to actually speak on this process? Yeah, Jason, I tried to get people who not only were in these positions, but also had some familiarity, um, you know, with Rodgers and, and with the Packers. And obviously, without getting into who they were, all of these all of these people that you mentioned uh, definitely fit that bill. And I just, you know, I just thought it, it would be interesting to say, hey, if you were Aaron Rodgers' agent, how would you be handling this? If you were Matt LaFleur, how would you handle this? If you were Brian Gutekunst, the general manager, if you were team president Mark Murphy, how would you handle this situation, and I think it, you know, hopefully at least gave some people a little insight into to what might be happening. Because you're right. I mean, Rodgers hasn't said a whole lot other than, "Hey, nothing's changed." What I said after the draft last year 
when when they pick Jordan Love that that I no longer control you know my timeline in Green Bay. Uh, you know that's still true to today, and, and it's still true you know when he said it a year ago. So, how much surprise did you find when you were talking to people? Like, how surprised were people that it has been silent and we've gotten to this point? Yeah, I, I think that there's um, a, a couple of perspectives. One, you know, from the agent's perspective, one of his points is. Why, Aaron, if, if Aaron's my client, you know, I'm telling him, Aaron, why are you worried about this? You're Aaron Rodgers. You, you just won the MVP. You know, who cares? Don't worry about it. But, uh, you know, and then, you know, fr- someone from the, the, the scouting world said, hey, if I was the GM, I would have restructured Rodgers' deal, given him more money, created more salary cap space, and gone out and gotten him a receiver. So, and obviously, they didn't do that. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, if you're a coach, you say, Hey, if I'm talking to Rodgers, I'm being like, I need Rodgers to win, and I need him to win now because Jason, as you know, that's what coaches want to do. Coaches want to win now. GMs want to win now and five years from now. So they're they're worried about you know all of that stuff. I, I thought the most interesting thing though was a couple of weeks ago when we got Team President Mark Murphy on uh, you know on a, on a Zoom call, and he basically no commented the whole situation. He had three chances to say, Hey, why haven't you committed to Rodgers? Uh, beyond just 2021, and he no commented it three times, and, and 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 to me that's where you sort of raise an eyebrow and go, huh, maybe they really are thinking of moving on from him after this year. We're talking to Rob Domovsky, ESPN Packers reporter, and and realistically, Rob, what resolves this? Yeah, I don't know that there is anything right now, other than you know Rogers plays this coming year. And he goes out and has another great year and then forces, you know, them to keep him. Um, or he could, you know, theoretically say, I'm not showing up to the offseason stuff now. We don't know what the offseason is going to look like, right, Jason? I mean, they're, they're talking might be virtual. So, you know, does he show? Does he not show? Maybe that doesn't matter. Um, I just, I just, they've had so many opportunities. I'm just a little bit baffled why they haven't done anything with his contract. I mean, they could have restructured it when he was marching his way to an MVP uh, this season. They could have restructured it when he had, uh, you know, a, a roster bonus due the third day of the league year. They could have easily turned that into a signing bonus, given him, you know, this money uh, up front and then, you know, adjusted the cap, made, making it harder for them to move on. Uh, they could have just done an extension where they add some years. and They could even be dummy years. Uh, but they give them some more money and, and in fact helps their cap situation because they're able to spread out the money over multiple years and does free up some space for them to maybe go get another player or two. So I, I you know, I don't know other than, um, you know, someone's going to have to do or say something definitive. And right now that hasn't been the case. You're listening to Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio, Jason Fitz flying solo talking to Rob Domofsky, ESPN Packers reporter, Rob, it feels sometimes like we're talking about this team. Like they were, you know, three and thirteen last year, not thirteen and three. Yeah. I mean, I understand the want for more weapons around Aaron Rodgers, but they were a Super Bowl contending team. Yeah. Why are we analyzing them like they're doing such a poor job? Yeah, I, I think a couple of reasons. One, they picked a quarterback a year ago, and they didn't just pick him; they traded up, did it in the first round. Uh, two, Rodgers, you know, left the door open, saying, you know, there's a lot of guys that have uncertain futures, myself included. Uh, you know, I mean, he knew what he was doing when he made that comment after they lost to the, to the Buccaneers in the championship game. Uh, you know, and, and here's another thing, too, Jason. You, you have to remember, like, as, as big a superstars as these guys are, they're still, like, they still want to be wanted, right? They want to be 
catered and wanted to be, you know, hey, we need you. We, we, you know, it's all about you. And, and for whatever reason, you know, they haven't necessarily done that. Um, and, and it's created this this situation. I don't want to call it friction because I don't know that that's the case, but it's a situation that they are going to have to deal with, you know, now and, and between now and the start of the season to make sure that they can put themselves back in position to make another run because they are a good football team. Uh, I mean, they, they re-signed Aaron Jones, their star running back, um, you know, which I think a lot of people were wondering if they were going to do, and they did it. And, and they've sort of kind of tried to bring back as many of the guys from this last season as they could, and they look like they're loading up to make another run at it. Um, whether it's a last dance type of situation or not, we'll see. But they do. They've got a, they've got a good team. They've got a couple of holes to fill in the draft like, like everybody does. But if they, if they find another corner, if they find a tackle, uh, maybe another run stopper, there's no reason to think that they won't be right back in position to not only win the NFC North, but to put themselves in that NFC Championship game for what would be a third straight year. Rob, if they draft a wide receiver this year in the first round, do we just <laughs> finally get quiet about all of it? I mean, maybe it fixes it? Yeah. I, you know, look, I've covered the Packers for – 25 years. Um, I think in that time they've only picked a receiver in the first round once. That was Javon Walker, and I think it was 2002. That said, they've done a pretty good job of picking second and third round receivers, uh, but they haven't done that even lately. So I mean, you know, Devontae Adams was a two, and and you know, obviously we've seen what he's become. You know, they don't even have to do it, Jason, in that first round. But for goodness sake, do it in the first two days, right? Rounds one, two, or three. And feel like you've given you know this team another boost because against the really good teams, you're going to need more than just Adams, Alan Lazard, and Marquez Valdez Scantling. Think about the the process here with me because uh, you know we weren't sure how coachable you know we kept hearing yeah. Aaron Rodgers was going to be. Now you've got Jordan Love sitting here in the middle of sort of mommy and daddy are fighting and he can't find his own footing. Like, what impact <laughs> does all of this have on Love's development? Yeah, you know, it didn't have much impact on Rodgers' development when he was basically going through the same thing with uh, with Brett Favre and, and Mike McCarthy, uh, what, 15 years ago or whatever it was. So, you know, he managed it pretty well from, you know, what we can tell of Jordan Love. He's a smart, smart guy, um, you know, really studies, has put, has put that aspect into it. The one thing we don't know, Jason, is the most important thing, can he play? Like, we saw what? I think we saw two, two and a half weeks of training camp practice last summer. Um, and he did that with no offseason workouts in person and they had no preseason games. So, you know, quite honestly, we have no idea if this guy can play yet. Yeah, that is the scary part of all of it. Like they put all this leveraged risk into a quarterback right. that history shows first round picks may or may not be great. Rob, this is a great article, really good thought by you, a great exercise and really well done, man. And we appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thanks, Jason. Appreciate you having me, and uh, give my best to Sarah when she comes back. Absolutely. For the sake of your menchies, I hope you guys take a wide receiver in the first round. It's just going to make people feel good. I just That's all I'm saying. Uh, Rob Domofsky, ESPN Packers reporter. Be sure to check it out. I'll tweet out the article now so you guys can find it. Really good read and a really open insight from people that have the knowledge to know how this entire situation is playing out. So be sure to get out there and check it out. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Obviously, 
we live in this this world. We want we want everybody to be respected. We want everybody to feel like they're heard. I want to feel like I'm heard. I want to feel like I matter to ESPN, but also I'm realistic. Like there are some bosses at ESPN when I sit in their office, they don't know anything about anything I've ever done, and they don't really care. Like that's just real. Now, obviously, I'm the equivalent of the low roster guy compared to you know the Stephen A's of the world that are the Aaron Rodgers. And when you get to Stephen A's status, everybody knows what you do, and everybody knows how you do it. You want a certain level of respect for. That's great. We all want respect. And we want great players, great athletes to get respect. You know, we want some moment where, you know, you could turn around and say, Aaron Rodgers is getting what he deserves because he's had a great career. That's true. That's true. And in a perfect world, it works that way. But nothing about the NFL is a perfect world. So now you got to look at it and say, from the Packers' standpoint, what have they done? See, we keep talking about the Packers like they stink, like they're hot garbage. Like, everything they've done has been a screw-up, and that's just not the case. Have they won enough Super Bowls with Aaron Rodgers? Probably not, but that's a media concern, not an inside-the-halls concern. Are they doing the best for their franchise today? I think they believe that they are, and that is significant. Now, obviously, we're going to continue to talk about this nonstop, and part of it is because Aaron Rodgers is going to continue to talk about it. This is what Rodgers said, remember, just a couple of days ago on the Pat McAfee Show. You know, I think that we're exactly where we were uh, last year when I made comments after the draft and and throughout the season. You know, I I don't feel like any of that's changed. Um, All I can do is play my best, and I feel like last year I did do that and and may have thrown a wrench in some timelines that may have been thought about or desired. But ultimately, ultimately, you know, things haven't really changed on that front. My future uh, is is really a lot of it's out of my control. um, you know, that's why I mentioned, you know, using words like, uh, phrase like beautiful mystery, like, because it is, uh, it is quite uh, uncertain uh, which direction things are going to go. Everything Aaron Rodgers just said was true. He did play so well that it likely put a wrench in some of their plans. He did absolutely go out and do his job. All he can do is go out and do his job. And at some point, that's all he can worry about. All of those phrases, all of those statements can be true. When are we going to talk about the other side of this? I mean, if you're the Packers, you've got to look out for your future at some point, and you found a guy in the draft with your first at the time with your first year head coach, and Matt Lafleur just finished his first year. He found the guy he wanted to build around. Right? They've got an obligation with an aging quarterback to figure out how to make sure that they're set at the most important position in all the sports. So they did that, and they didn't get Aaron Rodgers a weapon. But guess what? The Packers finished 13-3, and so doesn't that kind of say that maybe the people within the organization had a pretty good idea that if Aaron Rodgers plays well, we've got the right pieces around him. If he doesn't, we're going to be trash anyway, so we might as well take the quarterback we want. We've got no risk in this. I mean, at some point, we keep saying that the Packers need to do things for Aaron Rodgers. Why? So what did Aaron Rodgers do last year? He did his job really well. What's that mean? He gets paid to do his job really well. The Packers don't owe him anything because he went out and did his job. Well, in fact, the Packers don't owe him an explanation right now. All the Packers owe him is the opportunity to go out and play. Or not. I mean, realistically, they owe him a paycheck. That's what the Packers owe Aaron Rodgers, just like any other company, any other time. The problem is we let our fandom for particular players influence everything we think about the way business should be done. The Packers are doing business in a vacuum. They're doing it without emotion, and that's the right way to do business. Today, right now, do you think there are certain franchises, I don't know, 
uh, let's say the Saints, that wish that they had at some point figured out exactly what their future looks like? Do you think the Patriots don't wish at some point they'd kept a quarterback in the room that could have stepped in for Tom Brady if it didn't work out? As much as I keep telling you, reaching at the top of the first round of the draft is such a crapshoot, and it can be such a leveraged risk. So is holding on to your guy too long. You don't think the Steelers wished at this point that they'd found the guy in the last couple of years that they could hand the reins over to? The Packers are doing what's best for the Packers, and that's their right. The only thing the Packers are obligated to do is pay Aaron Rodgers while they figure out how Jordan Love develops. And if that means Aaron Rodgers starts again this year and then they kick him to the curb next year, that's their prerogative as a franchise. If they want to keep him under contract or even try and franchise him and basically waste the pick of Jordan Love, they wouldn't be the first team in history to select a first-round draft pick that they didn't get anything out of. Packers did the smart thing. We don't like it because we love Aaron Rodgers. We don't like it because we want to see Aaron Rodgers in Super Bowls. But they did what they needed to do to protect themselves for the future of the organization. And guess what? They've got Jordan Love for the next five years. And Rob Dubovsky said earlier, we don't know if he can play. They got five years to figure it out. Not cheaply, but they got five years to figure it out. They got four years left. It's a hell of a way to take a chance. You're better off taking that chance on a first-round quarterback where you get that fifth year should you need it than deciding to get somebody in the second round that you only have four years on. Now you've sped your whole cycle up. I mean, this is what you should be doing. You should be protecting the future of the most important position. You should be putting yourself in a situation where there's no pressure. Like, this is Jordan Love is living Trey Lance's dream. You ready? Don't know. Don't care. Don't worry. Get yourself ready. Take your time. Get yourself ready. We got a Hall of Famer here. Oh, his feelings are hurt that he didn't get another offensive weapon. His feelings are hurt that he's not getting enough love. His feelings are hurt that he's not getting a real clear statement on where he stands with the organization. But guess what? It's not about feelings. Football players on campus at ESPN all the time tell me it's a business. Players have accepted that it's a business. Many of them don't play for the love of the game. Many of them play because it's a business. So somebody explained to me why suddenly we're looking at an organization handling things like a business, and suddenly that means they're idiots. The Packers are doing what we don't have the guts to do. They're not looking at Aaron Rodgers through fan glasses. They're not looking at Aaron Rodgers' production today. Heck, they're not looking at Aaron production, Aaron's production by the end of the year. They're looking at the next five years when they draft Jordan Love, the next four years now. And guess what? As much as we may want answers, as much as Aaron may want answers, as much as Jordan may want answers, if the Packers get it right like they did when Brett Favre transitioned to Aaron Rodgers, if that happens again and they get a third generation that doesn't know what it's like to have a question mark at the quarterback position, then they outsmarted all of us. And who will care at this point that feelings were hurt along the way? I'm not going to trash the Packers. I'm not going to trash Aaron Rodgers. I'm not going to trash either side of this but I'm going to hold them to the same standard, the standard of how we do business. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz, big news out of the Masters. Dustin Johnson, the world's number one player and the reigning Masters champion. Bogeyed three of his final four holes Friday, missed the cut by two shots. Johnson is the 11th defending Masters champion to miss the 36-hole cut. That's incredible. The 11th time we've seen a champion miss 
the cut. Absolutely staggering. A lot of betters at this point. A little curious what went wrong there as Dustin Johnson has missed the cut. Again, if you've uh, just tuned in, Justin Rose sits at the top of the leaderboard still. He was even today, but he's 7-under, which gives him a one-stroke lead. Uh, But there are, at this point, 10 golfers that are within three strokes. It looks like we are going to get an epic weekend of golf. This is exactly what we hoped we would get from the Masters. Also, some big names. Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Tony Finau, they've all worked their way up uh, over the course of this. And even uh, as much as we've talked about Bryson DeChambeau, he finds himself tied for 17th. But after a 500 day, that's a pretty big rise for him. So we're getting some of the names. We're getting absolutely the close golf we were hoping we were going to get. But we're not going to get Dustin Johnson, the world's number one player, reigning Masters champion, has missed the cut. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We've got some breaking NBA news. The Milwaukee Bucks will be without all five of their starters tonight as they uh, host the Charlotte Hornets. So the Bucks will be without all five of their starters. It's got to be my fault. I'm the one that last night just sat there and started waxing philosophically and, and suddenly buying in on the Bucks. And, you know, I felt like I was on this roller coaster of emotion that put me back to two years ago. And I'm all in on Milwaukee. And now nobody's playing. It's a Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM. Channel Lady Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and I'm going to head straight over to the Goodyear hotline uh, to get some thoughts on this and all things in the NBA. We're joined by Alex Kennedy, Chief Content Officer at BasketballNews.com. Alex, thanks for the time, man. The entire Bucks team is out. So if you're a Bucks fan, when you start to see all of these little nicks and bruises and Giannis misses his third straight game, how concerned uh, should, uh, at this point, Bucks fans be with the injury bugs? Well, it's unfortunate. Uh, obviously, missing the entire lineup is not a good look. But I agree with you. I'm, I'm still optimistic about this Bucks team. Uh, you know, I think uh, for them, everything they've been doing all season long has been building up for the playoffs. You know, they've been trying different things out, tweaking their system a bit, putting different counters in place, using Giannis and, you know, some of their pieces a bit differently so that come playoff time, you know, they can make the right adjustments and, uh, you know, fare better than they have in recent years. Obviously, you know, part of the season has been about getting some of their new faces acclimated, guys like Drew Holiday, Bobby Portis. Uh, They just brought in P.J. Tucker, who's missed some time recently as well. So, yeah, I think for them, you know, their regular season record isn't as important to them as it has been in past seasons, where they've been trying to go after that number one spot in the Eastern Conference. I think for them, their biggest thing is making sure they're ready to go and everyone's healthy come playoff time. So they're going to be more conservative with their players. They're going to make sure everyone's 100% for their back. And, yeah, I mean, I think uh, they've, they've looked good to me this season. Everyone's kind of talking about them being, you know, a quote-unquote disappointment just because they don't have that best record in the East. But they're only three and a half games back from, you know, where the Brooklyn Nets are, the top seed. So I'm not too concerned about them. I think uh, some of the moves they've been making, some of the tweaks they've been making this season, I've been impressed. So I think people are kind of counting them out right now, but they could definitely make some noise come playoff time. You know, you make an interesting uh, point there when it comes to the adjustments. Alex Kennedy, Chief Content Officer of Basketball News. You know, we we dealt with this in college football a few years ago. Like Coach Orgeron had to revamp his entire system when he did. All of a sudden, LSU wins a national championship, and we realized the greatness of Coach O in the moment. Well, there was a lot of pressure on Budenholzer after the way that this team for the Bucks collapsed in the playoffs last year, and people were talking about job security. So, for anyone that really hasn't watched the Bucks. Where have these tweaks come from? Because this is not the way that Budenholzer was running this team before. 
Exactly, yeah. I think, you know, it started in the offseason bringing in Drew Holiday, who obviously is a great perimeter defender, but he's also another great scorer. So he can provide some of that, you know, offensive firepower uh, along with Giannis and Chris Middleton. And then, yeah, a lot of it was just coaching adjustments, things that, you know, we really hadn't seen Budenholzer do in the playoffs. Uh, and that was kind of uh, the, the knock on him, that they were too predictable, that teams would kind of build this wall to shut down Giannis, and they didn't have anywhere to turn. They didn't have any, you know, way to change how they were using Giannis. Uh, they, weren't, they couldn't take the ball at his hands and, you know, do really anything offensively. So I think that's really what it was. It was coming up with these different counters where, you know, it, depending on what teams show them, they have different things they can pivot to offensively to still keep Giannis involved or move Giannis around the system or, you know, put the ball in Drew's hands or Chris Middleton's hands and kind of get some easy baskets. So, uh, I, I, you know, we, we also saw them, you know, play less uh, four out. Uh, there have been a number of things they've been trying doing, and it really, it really depends on who they're facing as well, what the defense is doing. They, kind of, they have different counters they can uh, use. So I think it makes a lot of sense, you know, test those things out now during the regular season so that come playoff time, you know, that the whole team is ready for them. Uh, so if they are seeing something from a defense and their usual plan isn't working, they have these different counters they can go to. So yeah, I think also, you know, when with the whole Giannis situation, he signed a Supermax extension, but there's still some pressure on Milwaukee to actually win and go deep in the playoffs and be a contender uh, because I'm sure they're feeling like, okay, well, we just saw what happened with James Harden in Houston. Just because he signed a Supermax doesn't mean that the pressure is off of us. If the team isn't able to contend, then Giannis could turn around and say, okay, well, I want to trade, or I've done everything I can do here, I want to leave. So the pressure is still on Milwaukee and Budenholzer to take this team deep in the playoffs and compete for a championship. So I think that's where this comes from. You know, There have been these criticisms about Coach Bud dating back to his time in Atlanta even, that he didn't make the right adjustments in the playoffs. But I think he feels the pressure on him, and the whole organization feels the pressure that they really have to win now and go deep in the postseason. So I really do think this Milwaukee team, with the different counters they're putting in place and the tweaks that they've made, uh, it, it could really be effective and, and actually help them. We're talking to Alex Kennedy, Chief Content Officer of BasketballNews.com on Spain and Fitz. Jason Fitz flying solo now. We're all, all NBA fans are going to be in the zone this weekend watching the game of the weekend. The Lakers taking on the Nets at tomorrow night, 830 Eastern on ABC. Get in the zone, brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. All right, in an Instagram post, LeBron teases the return of he and AD to the Lakers. LeBron paints the word picture of a thunderstorm on the horizon, and everyone should seek shelter. So uh, at what point, I mean, if we're going to look into this whole thing, how much can we take first out of the weekend matchup between these two teams, given how much time their stars are missing? Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate. I think we all were, you know, circling this game on the schedule and thinking, oh, this is going to be amazing. You know, two of the top teams, tons of star power. But unfortunately, uh, I I think we're going to have LeBron and AD still out for this one. Uh, Kevin Durant's just kind of working his way back. They brought him off the bench last game. Uh, You know, we've seen the Lakers have struggled without their two stars, obviously. So, you know, unfortunately, we're not going to get that great matchup that we had hoped. And actually, last time these two teams faced off, there were a lot of injuries as well. So it's unfortunate, but I do think we're going to see LeBron and AD coming back relatively soon. You know, the, the timetable for LeBron had been four to six weeks. Now, based on kind of what he's hinting at on Instagram and some other reports, it sounds like that may have been overly conservative. So perhaps he's back by the, the end of the month. And then uh, AD, he's been doing some on-court stuff as well. Jared Dudley did an interview, uh, and he basically said that he's progressing nicely and he could come back sooner as well. So I think that's the big thing. Everyone was talking about, uh, you know, could these guys be out a long time with someone like AD because you're talking about an Achilles, could it, you know, potentially keep him out until the playoffs? But the fact that we're hearing this news that LeBron could be back by the end of the month, that AD's progressing nicely, 
Uh, it should mean that the Lakers will be at full strength come playoff time. And I think that's the most important thing for them. You know, we know this team is talented. They're the defending champs. For them, the seeding doesn't matter as much as it, as it is just making sure these guys are healthy and that, you know, everyone is good to go for the playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely good news. Uh, but we'll see what uh, – you know, hopefully LeBron can come back sooner than later. It seems like that Instagram post is hinting at something like that. All right, so who are we not paying enough attention to that we should be going into this? Uh, as far as different teams or yeah, yeah. what team, what team are we just yeah. not talking enough about right now? Yeah, you know, I think as crazy as it sounds, uh, because they're second in the Western Conference right now, I don't think the Phoenix Suns are getting enough love and enough attention. You know, this is a team that I think because they've struggled in recent years, everyone's kind of writing off. It's kind of what we saw with Utah earlier in the season where everyone's like, yeah, they have this good regular season record, but can they really get it done in the playoffs? So I feel like Phoenix isn't getting enough attention. You know, Chris Paul is playing out of his mind. We had a great article on basketballnews.com today uh, where Nikias Duncan broke down uh, Chris's play and just how he's still managing to dominate with his mind, with his tempo, with everything. You know, he's, he's been amazing for this organization and took them from basically being a team that was a possible playoff team to now being a legitimate contender. Devin Booker is doing a fantastic job and has continued to take that next step in his development. DeAndre Ayton is not only doing it offensively scoring the ball, but he's been an anchor for them defensively. You have guys like Mikhail Bridges who are really stepping up and uh, you know playing great defense, being that 3 and D guy. Uh, so I've been very impressed with the Suns team. I think uh, they're one of these teams that, again, everyone talks about the Nets and the Lakers and the Clippers even. Uh, we don't really talk about some of these teams like the Jazz and Suns that are at the top of the standings right now and playing really great basketball. And they just got a huge win over Utah a few days ago. So uh, I've been impressed with Phoenix. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Alex Kennedy NBA. Be sure to check out basketballnews.com. Alex, thanks so much for joining us, man. Love the expertise. Thanks a lot. Take care. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We're going to get to some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. I, I have been saying repeatedly, I think the 49ers are playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers. I think their draft strategy seems to be brilliant and has been for the last several years. I found my, myself on, on draft day constantly saying they know what they're doing. That being said, ESPN NFL insider Dan Graziano is a really smart guy. So when he said this on Get Up this morning, I was kind of surprised. It's probably oversimplifying, but I think the way to look at it is whenever it is that the Niners decide that their rookie draft pick is ready to play and help them win games, not just play and take his lumps, but help them win games, that's when Jimmy Garoppolo becomes available. So if that's the day after the first round, or if it's in training camp, or if it's in October, that's it. But it's not overstating this to say that this is it for Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch as leadership of the 49ers. This pick will determine whether they are successful in these roles or not going forward. It's that significant. Which is huge, huge straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no compromise. I want to get some thoughts on that from an expert. So we head to the Goodyear hotline where we're joined by Matt Barrows, who covers the 49ers for the Athletic. Matt, Matt, thanks for your time. I I want your reaction. I mean, to think that this pick will suddenly decide the entire fate of Lynch uh, and, and Kyle Shanahan. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to disagree with that. I I don't know if that's going to be immediate. You know, you you usually give these guys a few years, but, uh, I mean, you can definitely see a scenario where this this blows up, where they take player A, and uh, player A turns out to be either okay or or not very good, but the guy that they, they passed on, player B, turns out to be sensational, and that, that's already happened to this team. Um, they had the, the number two overall pick back in 2017, 
and uh, a big need for a quarterback, and, and they passed on, on two guys, Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, um, thinking that, okay, Kirk Cousins is going to be available uh, in free agency next year, so let's build our roster, and then we'll get a really good quarterback who's familiar to the head coach, who's familiar with the system uh, a year later. Um, so, you know, that that's the risk, is that you end up passing – on somebody who turns out to be a superstar. Well, that being said, Matt, I mean, the other side of it is uh, so few quarterbacks out of the first round do end up being superstars, right? And what the 49ers have done the last few years is really focus on great players at the top of the draft. I I think that's commendable. I mean, is it necessarily a bad strategy to say, I want to have more proof of concept from quarterbacks that we want to bring into the building? No, um, and you're right. I mean, the, the chances of you landing a superstar is is slim. Um, however, they, they did um, go to the, the Super Bowl with a, a great team, and, and I think everybody would agree that one quarterback outplayed the other, and now they're looking to, as Dan Graziano said, probably move on from Jimmy Garoppolo at some point. So, um, you know, you can keep kicking that can down the road, but you, yeah, I, I would think that you're always trying to, to find – that guy uh, who's going to be the difference. And, you know, Mike Shanahan had that guy. He had, uh, when, when he was the offensive coordinator here, he had Steve Young, and then he moves to Denver, and he's got John Elway. Um, I mean, that, that's who you're searching for, and that, that's sort of the question. Do the 49ers think that that guy, that type of guy, that caliber of guy uh, is out there in this draft class? We're talking to Matt Barrows. Covers the 49ers for the Athletics. Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo. You mentioned that guy. Much is being made at this point, the fact that the 49ers wanted to check out Justin Fields. I think a lot of people just presume they move up to three and know exactly where they're going. What is their process as far as you understand it right now? Yeah, they're, they're going to go out and see Justin Fields. Now, they, they, they watched him in that first pro day, but it wasn't Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. Uh, and make no mistake, Kyle Shanahan is the guy who's going to make this decision. So he'd want to get his eyes on um, – a prospect before that happens. So by the time that uh, April 14, Pro Day number two, is over for Fields, six or, I guess, uh, four of the top de- decision makers in the uh, organization will have watched him. And, and the same thing with Mac Jones and the same thing with Trey Lance. So it's kind of hard to figure out from that uh, what they're thinking. Uh, now, they did make that that, that number three pick without having – looked at any of those guys up close. So uh, Kyle Shanahan saw something on film with one of those three guys that I just mentioned that gave him enough confidence to say, okay, let's move up to three. I'm I'm secure in this. Um, I I like this guy, and we'll check out everybody. But uh, we're confident enough to move up uh, because I think that this guy is going to be good. Now, you, you can debate a lot who this guy is. Um, a lot of reporters around the league, good reporters who work for your company, um, are, are sure that it's Matt Jones. I mean, when, when you're Adam Schefter and you're saying this stuff uh, three, three and a half weeks before the draft, um, Schefter's not wrong uh, very often. So I, I would think that he's got a good beat on it, um, and, and that seems to be the leader in the clubhouse. We're talking to Matt Barrows, covers the 49ers for The Athletic. I think that there's some under-talked about, like everybody wants Jimmy G out the door today, Matt. And tell me if my logic is flawed. It feels to me like the 49ers are in a really good situation because they can go out 
with a great roster. This is a really solid team, top to bottom. They have some question marks at quarterback, but they have a guy that's good enough to win with. So you draft somebody, you can take a risk on somebody that needs longer to develop because you got Jimmy G, and you can take your time. Like, Jimmy G may not be the answer for everybody, but they're in the rare situation to draft high and still slowly develop a quarterback. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, you can make that argument for just about any rookie quarterback, that they could all use that, that extra year. And the other part of that equation is that this, this team thinks that it can win the Super Bowl this year. And, and they've signed a lot of guys to one-year contracts in this last free agency cycle. Signed uh, Trent Williams to uh, a huge mega deal, um, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this is, this is a talented team. So um, I'm not sure that they would be willing to turn the reins over to a rookie until uh, they're very confident that that guy can can win uh, a Super Bowl, and um, that's that's the bottom line. So they are a bit in a bit of a a position of strength. However, they also have given up two future first round picks and a third round pick uh, to make this maneuver. So they're going to be wanting to to recoup some of that at some point. So that that's the question: w- Will they get blown away with an offer that? Uh, that sort of coincides with their comfort level of turning everything over to this rookie, whoever he may be. I just know if I was a 49ers fan, I'd feel pretty ecstatic right now because I can win the Super Bowl this year and have my future set. Matt, uh, as always, man, we appreciate you joining us. Follow him on Twitter, at Matt Barrows. I don't say this lightly. The Athletic has been doing a spectacular job covering all of your favorite teams in the offseason, plus their draft content right now is spectacular. So be sure to check out The Athletic. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. All right, thanks for having me on. Talk to you soon. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Jason Fitz, flying solo. Be sure to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Get it out there for you. Also, guys, tweet me, at Jason Fitz. You can tweet the show, too, at Spain and Fitz. Uh, I want to get you guys involved in the segment coming up in just a few minutes as we uh, wrap up Friday night. It is WrestleMania weekend. You guys know that I grew up a big wrestling fan. I talk about it all the time when I was a little kid, infatuated. So I find myself on WrestleMania weekend, oftentimes going back, watching what I watched when I was a kid. Uh, Unlike Fraggle Rock, it does actually age well. So, uh, But I want you to send me, like, what was your favorite WrestleMania moment? Send me a tweet, like, send me a a, a meme or a gif, whatever. Like, something, give me your favorite WrestleMania moment, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz, fun way to get you guys involved in a little bit of a fun conversation. Don't forget, tune in to an NL East rivalry this Sunday. The Braves host Bryce Harper and the Phillies. Coverage of Sunday Night Baseball begins at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, and 7 p.m. on ESPN. So, that brings us to some Major League Baseball talk, and for this I want to bring in a great expert. Scott Miller, longtime Major League Baseball columnist. You can hear him on MLB Network Radio, author of 90% Menta, uh, Mental. Uh, Scott, thanks for the time. We were just talking about the NL East and the battle to, to expect this weekend for everybody on ESPN Radio. Outside of the Phillies, not a great start for the East. It's early, but what are you seeing from Philly early on that gives you reason for optimism? You know, I think uh, nice to be with you, Fitz, by the way, uh, Jason. Uh, Philly bullpen is better. Last year they were terrible. And in the early going, and granted, you know, we're, uh, we're not that far from launch day. But, uh, you know, they've, uh, they've, they've done some things. I, you know, I like the addition of, of Archie Bradley, the longtime Diamondbacks uh, uh, reliever. Hector Neris, uh, you know, Jose Alvarado, they, they trade, acquired him in trade from uh, Tampa Bay. Bradley, by the way, uh, 
I said longtime Tam, uh, Diamondbacks with Cincinnati last year, but then they signed uh, Philly signed him as a free agent. So, you know, adding some guys like that, uh, Brandon Kinsler, uh, been around in, with Minnesota, Washington, Miami. Um, they've added him. So, among other things, uh, that to me is the big, big difference right now. Um, you know, you know, Aaron Nolan, Zach Wheeler, what they're going to get from them in the rotation, Zach Eflin. Uh, you know, and then of course, you know, re-signing, you know, bringing JT Real Muto back behind the, the plate. But you know, Philly with Dombrowski now running the baseball operations department and Joe Girardi as manager, Phillies to me are a team to watch closely this year. Scott, you mentioned the bullpen, and, and this is what's really interesting because I keep talking to great baseball minds, telling me that pitching is going to look different than ever this this year. We're going to see more pitchers in the rotation. So, is it more important to have a great bullpen this year, or is it more important to have more viable starters that can give you innings at the beginning of a game? You know, you can't discount either of those two options, but I always go for bullpen. I mean. Starters just aren't outside of the, the the legendary types, you know, the Max Scherzers, the Clayton Kershaws, you know, the the horses, the Cy Young guys in their heyday, you know, they they can maybe you still get maybe seven innings out of those guys, maybe eight. Rarely do you get a complete game, but every night anymore, unless you've got one of those guys pitching, and there's just not that many of them in the game, um, you know, you're gonna be going through three or four relievers every single night. And, you know, I don't care what team it is. And I think bullpen's especially important this year as well because going from the 60-game abbreviated schedule last year, even starting pit, you know, depth in, in, in pitching staffs is going to be huge. Starting pitchers uh, last year made about 10 starts, maybe 11 starts, and they're going to have to go up to 30 this year. Already, clubs are really worried about keeping their pitchers healthy, and, and and they're worried about that significant spike in in workload and innings pitched. So, I think starters are going to be watched closely this year throughout. And again, that's also where bullpens come into play. I think there's going to be a lot of innings that need to be covered, team by team, by the bullpen. We're talking to Scott Miller, longtime Major League Baseball columnist. You can hear him on MLB Network Radio. And, Scott, I'm with you. I, like, I think the way that everybody manages pitch count and manages pitchers this year is going yep. to be really interesting. Now, the Rays rely a ton on their bullpen. They've got a ton of injuries. So what's your level of concern for them in the early stages of the season? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, injuries and health is always obviously very important. Um, that is said, uh, you know, that there's something to be said if, if for getting in your injuries out of the way early. Now, hmm. just because, you know, Tampa Bay, and you mentioned it, you know, G-Man Choi, the, uh, who became a cult hero almost during the postseason last year, you know, he, he's out. He's, he's had knee surgery. Kevin Kiermeyer, that was a big blow losing the, who I think should have been a gold glove center fielder last year. I think he was robbed by not getting the gold glove. Um, you know, Kiermaier strained his quad the other day. He's out. Um, you know, Nick Anderson, the bullpen, to your point, Nick Anderson, um, you know, Peter Fairbanks, some names from last year, Chaz Rowe right now. Those guys are on the injured list as well. Now, you can sustain it a little bit early as long as you don't get in too big of a hole. Um, but, you know, 
like I say, if it, if you'd had your druthers, like, hey, I, if I can get my injuries out of the way early, uh, I, I can I can you know do some things as the year goes on. But as we know, those injury guys, you can't pick your time. Just because you have injuries early doesn't mean you're going to be healthy the rest of the year. So, um, you know, early I don't worry as much as I do about losing a key guy down the stretch. But uh, that's to say, you know, that changes if they don't get healthy. It's Payne and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz flying solo, talking to Scott Miller, longtime Major League Baseball columnist. You can also hear him on MLB Network Radio. Uh, so this Trevor Bauer thing is really interesting. He's being investigated by Major League Baseball for using foreign substances. Uh, it, it feels like Dave Roberts, the Dodgers manager, has said that he feels like he's being singled out. Like This feels rare to me, so give me some context on what's happening here and how often this happens in Major League Baseball. Well... The, 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 the background, the context, Jason, would be um, inside the game, pitchers, teams, players will tell you that pitchers have been using illegal substances forever. And, it, it, and not just like spitball kind of stuff, but to get a grip um, on the ball. The balls have become more slick over the past few years as they, they've gotten harder. And you've, as you've noticed, the home runs have been flying ball as the balls have gotten harder. They've gotten more slick and, and pitchers have used something, uh, you know, whether it's a mixture of sunblock and rosin, that's a very popular thing for pitchers to use so they can get a grip on the ball. And, and, and the crazy thing is the, 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 the dirty little secret as well is not all hitters have a problem with this. You know, you talk to a lot of hitters and they'll say, hey, I would rather a guy, that if he's going to throw 99, 100 miles an hour, I'd rather he know where the ball's going. I'd rather he have a good grip on it so it doesn't slip and skull me. Um, that said, in the last few years, one other thing analytics has brought to the game is spin rate has become more important and as, as you've had technology able to measure spin rate the grip pitchers use has become more and more scientific and more and more popular and you know trevor bauer again context for this remember a couple years ago he called out garrett cole and a couple of those astros pitchers this is back when Mm -hmm. garrett was with the astros on twitter and he said geez some guys spin rates go way up when they get to the astros insinuating that they're doing some stuff to help you know, whether you grip the ball to improve their spin rate. So, you know, whether just that alone or that and other things, obviously the Astros cheating scandal has gotten Major League Baseball's attention. And so baseball understands they've got to, in this digital age, technological age, they've got to be very uh, proactive in policing the game, especially after the Astros scandal. So, you know, now we move into this year, and baseball said in spring training, you know, one thing we're going to be watching is spin rates, and 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 we're going to watch pitchers, and we're not going to allow funny business with tacky substances this year. So whether Bauer, you know, one thing they're looking at him based on what he said on social media a few years ago, you know, I don't know. It, it you can't single one guy out, and you know. It's a bad look if baseball does that. They're gonna, you know, they've got to be even across the board in, in trying to root, root this out if they indeed 
deem that this is a problem in the game. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's WrestleMania weekend, and so I wanted you guys to hit me up on Twitter. I want you to hit me up on Twitter all weekend long, at Jason Fitz. I personally, like, so I grew up a big Macho Man fan, and so uh, Macho Man was like my guy with the WWE, which fits my theme. You know, I've always said that I like the other guy. Like, uh, I like Stacey Augman more than Larry Johnson. I like uh, Slash more than I liked Axel. I like Richie Sambora more than I like John Bon Jovi. Well, I never liked Hulk. Like, Hulk never did it for me, but Macho Man, oh, Every year I go back and rewatch Macho Man winning the title, and there's just an innocence to it, like for me, because of that time in my life. There's a, a, a something that wrestling represented to me that feels particularly special in that moment. Stosh, producer extraordinaire, were you a big wrestling fan? I don't even know the answer to this. Uh, back in the day, yeah. Okay, probably okay. probably more so in my teens, early twenties than now. But, uh, oh, yeah, the era of the Macho Man, Hulk Hogan, yeah, all about that. Yeah, I have a, an awkward amount for a, a grown man with no children. I have an awkward amount of toys. I'm the first to admit that, many of which are, are Macho Man. I need them to stop making so many cool Macho Man toys. I, finally, I, I constantly find myself in that. You guys have tweeted me some of your, uh, some of your favorites, Tyson knocking out Shawn Michaels, getting a lot of votes. Uh, but, again, Shawn Michaels, special to me, the Midnight Rockers when I was a little kid, oh, they were the coolest. If you go back and watch some of the AWA classic broadcasts that are on, uh, used to play on ESPN a lot in the middle of the night, uh, my dad and I are in, in the crowd in Vegas at the Showboat Casino uh, back then uh, when uh, the Midnight Rockers were part of the AWA. So when they went to the WWE, big fan. So, uh, you know, just a little bit of WrestleMania love for you out there. We'll keep the WrestleMania conversation going all week in a weekend, I should say. In the meantime, the Masters today, the big story out of the Masters is the defending champ, Dustin Johnson out. He missed the cut. So uh, you have the 11th time the defending champion has missed the cut in Masters history, which I think is uh, pretty significant. A lot of people had an eye on that. It was not the easiest day. But one story that's absolutely incredible to me. See Woo Kim broke his putter. He got frustrated, so he just broke his putter in a moment of anger. We've all been there. Uh, but he had to still play the rest of the round, didn't have a putter. So he had to use a, a, a different – he had to putt with a wood. So I'm, I'm not sure exactly how that goes down, but still turned out that he had a pretty good round. So, you know, I have to give him a little bit of credit as he's tied for six right now, but he's only three strokes back, and he did it half of that without having a putter. I am that guy, and, you know, I love, I love, I love to play some Madden. Uh, unapologetically, I will kick your button, Madden. I, Madden, I don't care who you are. I have played in some of those tournaments. I uh, used to do a little side hustle making a little cash playing Madden. I am a Madden player. When I get really angry at Madden, about once every two years, I ruin a, a, a controller. It's just par for the course at some point. When you're playing the time that you know the computer has it out for you and you throw an interception that never would have been intercepted, that's the time that I, I just, you know, eventually I drop it, let's say, with a little bit of extra aggression before you know it. Controller's broken. Those things aren't cheap. Then I'm trying to tape it back together. It impacts the rest of my uh, Madden game. So I feel in a much different way a little of a, a little of his pain. Stosh. Are you, are you a breaker of things? Because you don't ever get mad. Stash is like the nicest, never mad guy in the world. Like, is there is there a breaker tendency for you? Mm, no. Usually when I get mad, I just get quiet, and that's when everybody gets nervous. Okay, I can see that. I've, I've, now I know this. I didn't know that before. Now I'm suddenly thinking, wait, was Stash quiet earlier tonight? Uh, well, that's one of my favorite stories uh, of the Masters. Obviously, uh, just getting the, the, the thought of having to putt the rest of the time and just I feel like my mom would be in my head the whole time saying, see, you did this to yourself. Are you proud of what you did? Maybe you should think about controlling your anger next time. I, I can hear all of this. 
which is a story from a therapist. Justin Rose sitting at seven under right now, uh, so he's still got a one-stroke lead, but it certainly wasn't the uh, it wasn't the momentum he hoped to keep realistically. Uh, but there are some big names uh, sort of coming up the rear there. Jordan Spieth uh, just a couple of strokes back. Justin Com- Thomas three strokes back. Tony Finau three strokes back. Uh, and Bryson DeChambeau, who earlier in the week I said would be great for golf if he could find a way to win. He finds himself one stroke back. It's a ways to try and make up, but at least what you've got right now are a bunch of golfers that are close. And that's everything going into this weekend. I, I, I mean, I've spent the week saying a lot of things about the Masters. A lot of them haven't been particularly positive necessarily about golf in general. But for me, we could all step back at some point and say, hey, what's best here? What's best is for everybody to win, to get a great champion that has a ton of personality that we'll all be talking about on Monday morning because it's a spectacular story that interests even the casual golf fan. Golf got themselves a lot closer to that over the course of today. Unfortunately, through that process, it takes Justin Rose slipping a little bit. But if Justin Rose slipping gives us more excitement going into the weekend, that's honestly a best-case scenario for the sport. I know we can't get Tiger. And anytime we don't get Tiger, we still find a way to talk about Tiger. But for the Masters right now, it's got to come back to who's going to win that captures America. What I am rooting for is a Sunday finish that no matter where you are, if you're at a restaurant, if you're at home, if you're socially distanced, wearing a mask, doing all of it, we hope being safe. If you're sitting in a bar, everybody is flocking to one TV to see what happens. To get that sort of a magic when you don't have the Tiger, then you need a close match. Hopefully, that's what we'll get. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio.